Um, again, Marcus, uh, thank you for keeping us posted, and we definitely want to continue to pray for you. Please keep us updated, and um, if there's any way that our community can bless you during this time, then please do not hesitate to ask. Um, yeah, this has been a very interesting season. Uh, I guess this really is a microcosm of life. On the one hand, we celebrate uh, the joys of Christmas, the joys of the holidays, of being able to connect with one another. And these are things that we should truly appreciate. They are blessings from God. But on the other hand, we still live in this sin-fallen world where we are still susceptible and vulnerable to things like death and other consequences of sin. So at the same time, um, we live in this really delicate tension. I really believe that the already not yet is the best way to describe the tension that we find ourselves in. And um, like I mentioned, it's really uncanny how Susan just mentioned how our life, especially 2020, bunch of highs and lows. And it makes me think a lot about 2020 and how should we end this year in terms of our worship service. We are actually going to cut short our Advent sermon series, so we're not going to preach on Isaiah 9. Instead, as I was praying about 2020, as I was praying about our uptown community, the theme that really came to my mind is the idea that our hearts are all over the place because our lives are all over the place. Some of us are experiencing probably the most difficult points in your life right now. And some of us are experiencing maybe the peak of your life at this moment. But what is the hope that we have regardless of the vicissitudes of life? It really is, are we worshipful in these crazy situations or are we sinning? And the way that we understand sin over the past few months, even the past year or so, is sin is us distorting, suppressing, rejecting God's character and his involvement in our lives. It is clear that God is so present. He is truly Emmanuel. He is with us. And although situations may be difficult or distracting, we are always either distorting, suppressing, or rejecting his character or his involvement. We always point our finger to something else. We mistake God's presence with his distance, or we just flat out distort his character, and we expect things that God never really promised. And because of that, we hold those things against God, and we think that he's not powerful, he's not loving. On the other hand, is a life of worship. And the way that we've been understanding worship is, worship is when we submit, recognize, submit to, and celebrate God's character and his involvement in our lives. So we do recognize, you know what? Even though I am experiencing a less than ideal situation, I do know that this is the way God has been working throughout his people Israel as it has been handed down to us in scripture. This is the way God has been faithful from generation to generation, from age to age, and his character is still trustworthy. Not only, am I got, not only do I recognize this, but I'm going to submit to this because although my situation, my life is not panning out the way I want it to, I submit not to my preferences, by submit to God's character and to his track record, to the idea that his thoughts, his ways are higher than my thoughts, my ways. As we recognize and submit to God's character and his involvement in every aspect of our lives, what does that develop that produces us actually celebrating? Wow, I sense God's wisdom here. I sense God's providence. I sense God's love. I sense God's purpose, his plan, his love for me that he is conforming me to become more like his son, Jesus. And that is truly worship. 
is we finally recognize, we submit to, and we celebrate God's character and His involvement in our lives. And that's what we do when we do praise songs. We're not just singing songs because they're fun to sing, but what we're doing is the lyrics point us, they remind us of God's character, His involvement. And what does that do? That leads to a recognition, a submission, and ultimately a celebration. And when I think about Uptown, when I think specifically of 2020, I truly believe that this is something that we need to ponder more about. Is a heart of worship or a heart of sin? And therefore, the title of this today's sermon is The Five W's of Worship. Um, this sermon is not meant to be an exhaustive account on worship. Worship is so, we could do an entire sermon series on it. But hopefully, this can be relevant for us. And what do I mean by the five W's? You know, the who, what, where, when, how, why of worship. Um, because this idea of being able to take any situation, any circumstance, and being able to recognize, submit to, and celebrate God's character and his involvement, that truly is experiencing salvation on earth. Uh, that is the impa- impact of the gospel in our everyday situation. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this idea of a worshipful mentality, a worshipful life. And we're going to take a look at two passages from Paul. They're very short. And Paul is interesting because the first passage is the passage that I wanted to preach on in our first Thessalonians series. But we just had to, uh, we just didn't have enough sermons to cover it. So we're going to talk about that, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. And then we're going to touch upon Philippians chapter 4. And the reason why we're talking about Paul is because I think many of us can relate or at least somewhat sympathize with the struggles that Paul was experiencing when he wrote these passages that we're going to focus on. Paul, most of us, we know him as the person who wrote the majority of the New Testament, or we know him as one of the most effective missionaries in the history of humankind. Um, A great preacher, a pastor, a theologian, a writer. But one of the things that Paul talks about the most about himself is how he suffered gravely. Uh, At the time of 1 Thessalonians, when he's writing this, most likely he's been persecuted. He's been beaten. There There are accounts and acts where they beat Paul so violently because he was preaching the gospel and they didn't want him to that they actually thought he was dead. He experienced this. And as he experienced this intense persecution, physical persecution, he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, um, before we read the passage, let me um, go through a quick diagram that I mentioned um, earlier in a sermon back uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic that I think is very relevant for us today. Um, and in some ways, I look at that sermon as almost before its time. Uh, the sermon is from 2D to 3D, and we're talking about the life of Joseph. Uh, there is a sermon link in it. Um, but at, in that sermon, I talked about it in greater detail. I shared this diagram with us. This is us, um, you know, representing humankind. And the way we live our lives is we're constantly looking at things. We're constantly interpreting things. We just can't help but do it. So for instance, this person is looking at the world 
And at the time, I think many of us were very captivated by global affairs because at the time, this is when the pandemic just began to break out. Um, I don't know if it was official at that moment. Uh, this was also the time of the Australian wildfires. This was also the time of Kobe's death. This was also the time of right before the black issues with social injustices. And we are just so inundated with what's going on in the world. And we're constantly interpreting. And as we're looking at these isolated circumstances, whether it is a pandemic, whether it is the U.S. elections or whatever it is, our tendencies, we are so fixated on those circumstances and we fail to see God's character and his involvement in every single one of these situations. Other things like our education, some of us are students. And what we end up doing is we start preoccupying ourselves. We're so fixated on our school, the deadlines, and to the point where we actually forget or we distort, suppress, or altogether reject God's character and his involvement in our education. Or whether it's our work. I know work is a very sensitive topic right now because I think, at least in the Western world, uh, burnout is becoming a general phenomenon, uh, especially with no more work-life balance where there are no more boundaries. Many of us are just being grilled at work. And yes, I want to be sensitive, but we have a tendency again, or maybe not even a tendency, our attitude, our mentality is we distort, we reject God's character, even in our workplace. In our relationships, we look at relationships and we exclude God in our relationships or even in our family life or the list goes on. In our health, this is what the, the brain and our heart, biological organs represent, is even when we look at our health, our life, and basically this diagram is another way of showcasing, illustrating what does it look like to have this sinful attitude, this sinful mentality, that all of us have been born into, is we look at every aspect of this world and it was designed as a window into God's character and his involvement in our lives and instead we shut God out or we at least distort, reject, and suppress his character and his involvement. We fail to see God in all of these situations and therefore this leads to death. This leads to the consequences of sin, which is a life where we lack peace, we lack joy, and we do face the wrath and the judgment of God. Because God has created all these things, education, the world, our workplaces, every aspect of our lives has been created, as it says clearly in Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, John 1, through and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we fail to recognize him in these aspects. And therefore, we rightfully face God's wrath, his judgment, which is ultimately death. Now, praise be to God that even though this is our sinful mentality, this is our sinful way of living, this is our sinful nature, Christ has come, he has intervened, and he has died, not only died for our sin, but he has actually resurrected, so his spirit now lives in us. We unpack all these things throughout the various sermons this past year. And His Spirit now lives in us. So now we can actually not just wait until we get to heaven, but in our everyday situation right now, in the face of burnout, in the face of even 
biological death. We can see God's character in his involvement. We can see Jesus. We can see the impact of the gospel in every and any circumstance of our lives. And when we recognize that, we submit to that. And when we submit to that, we celebrate that. And that is truly a life, a mentality of worship. Now, Uh, there's also another sermon link that I put in the YouTube description, and that is um, we're not going to cover Isaiah 9 today. Uh, it's going to be the last sermon was about the zeal of God and his commitment to glorify his name. One of the reasons why we skipped that message is because it's very similar to a message in our psalm series that we preach over the summer. And if you're interested more on that topic, we did include a link there on Psalm 138 where it focuses more on how God will accomplish all these things because of his zeal and his commitment to his name. But going back to this sermon, so this life of worship, what does this mean and how is it relevant to Paul? Because like I mentioned with Paul, he experienced the highs and lows. And this is what he writes to uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. He says, despite him being beaten to the point where he's mistaken for dead, he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, like I mentioned, all of us, our mentality, our nature is sinful. So even reading scripture, we distort and we misinterpret. Because when we read these verses, I think this is a favorite verse for many of us. We gravitate towards everything else other than what is the most important thing in this verse. And I know what some of us are thinking. What is the most important thing in this verse? And I'm going to show you first. Well, before I show you, I want, to, I want to first show you the things that you're probably gravitating towards, which is not the most important thing. Most of us are going to gravitate towards the verbs. Rejoice. Wow, Christian life is a life of joy. Yes, this is exactly what I need because my life is miserable right now. Pray. Yes, Christian life is all about praying. Not only do I need to rejoice, but I need to pray. I need to pray more and give thanks. Christian life is all about rejoicing, a bunch of do's, praying, giving thanks. And that's what our tendency is when we look at scripture, is we focus on how can we apply this? What can we do? What kind of actions can we take? But that's really not the most important thing about these verses. Because let me tell you, if that is what your takeaway from these verses, you're misleading yourself. Because as much as you try to rejoice, pray, and to give thanks. I hate to be Debbie Downer, but as soon as this worship service is over, there's probably going to be something that's going to happen, and it's going to rob your joy. It's going to distract you from prayer. It's going to prevent you from giving thanks. Because we don't have the power to live these things out. Some of us we may be looking, maybe not at the verbs of rejoice, pray, and give thanks, but some of us may be looking at the emphasis on always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. And some of us are thinking, wow, that's quite overwhelming. How can I rejoice, pray, and give thanks always, without ceasing, in all circumstances? Hmm. This verse, maybe Paul is being hyperbolic. Maybe he's being figurative. And we end up, we lose the impact of this verse, of these verses. But let me tell you, 
The most important thing about these verses is not rejoicing, is not giving thanks, it's not the verbs, it's not the always, the all, all circumstances without ceasing. Those are important. I mean, it is part of God's word, so I'm not saying that they're not important. I'm not saying that we should ignore them. But the most important thing, what enables us to live like this is, as we see, the word for. Remember, especially with Paul's letters, whenever you see the word for, or therefore, or hence, or thus, or whatever, pay attention. Because what Paul is saying is everything that I wrote about, rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, it is only possible because of this, for this reason. For this is the will of God. Now, we probably have heard the will of God so much in our Christian lingo that we forget the significance of it. What does it mean? For this is the will of God. What does will of God even mean? Will is a really good translation. It's from the word thelema. And it basically means your intention or your desire. So for instance, in modern language, I think we talk about the will before you pass away. You want to write up your will. This is your desire. This is your intention. And how you want all of your resources to be utilized and to be distributed. It's a great translation. But I think sometimes we miss the significance of it. Because when we think about a will, somebody's will, we think, wow, that is his desire or his intention or his plan. But a lot can go wrong. If you were to look at my will, let's say I say my will is for us to, I don't know, have a retreat in 2021. And yes, I can say that that is my will, but is it actually going to happen? Who knows? Retreats facilities might not even be open in 2021. You can say that's your will, but I don't know if you have the ability to back up what you desire, what you intend, and what you plan. Um, When we think about even presidents, especially in the U.S., all the slogans that they have, like for instance, Trump, make America great again. That is his will in some ways. And I don't know. Is America great again during his tenure? So when we look at will, even powerful people like presidents, people of great resources, when they say, this is my will, you're thinking, okay, that's your will, that's your intention, that's your desire, but you know what? Plans never go the way that they're expected. People all have desires, but sometimes they don't really pan out. They don't really transpire the way that they had originally intended. But when we think about the will of God, we're at a whole another level. It's almost like we should use an entirely different word. Like I feel like humans shouldn't even use the word will because we're so fragile, we're so finite, we're so limited. With God, when he says, this is my intention, this is my desire, this is my plan, you can take that thing to the bank. From age to age, he stands. From generation to generation, his word has never failed. His will is unstoppable. And to put two and two together, what Paul is saying is the reason why you can rejoice always. The reason why you can pray without ceasing. The reason why you can give thanks in all circumstances is not because you are a very good Christian. It's not because you're a very pious, holy, good church choir boy. But it's because this is God's will. For you, 
This is his intention. This is his desire. This is his plan. And unlike Trump, unlike that CEO, unlike me, unlike any human in the history of this earth, when God says, this is my will, it will be done. It will be done. His will stands forever. What does this mean? All of us who submit to the gospel of Jesus, this is God's will for us. We don't have to be inundated and overwhelmed and taken back by circumstances, but always we can rejoice. Always we can interact with God through prayer. Always we can give thanks. This is his desire. It will happen. And how does it happen? Which leads to the second reason why we have confidence. And that's highlighted in this text. Again, another phrase that we don't gravitate towards, but it is so significant. Not only the will of God, which is, wow, that's just mind-blowing in and of itself. But how does this happen? In Christ Jesus. Again, it's a phrase that we probably gloss over. So important. Whenever Paul writes about in Christ, in the Lord, in Him, he is basically saying, those who have submitted to the gospel of Jesus, you don't just get a ticket to heaven. You're united with Christ. His Spirit is living in us. He did a heart transplant with us. He doesn't just go before us and go behind us, which is a phrase from Deuteronomy. But no, He is in us. We are united with Him. There is no, you can't get more intimate than that. And when we are united with Christ, not only do we have the heart of Christ, not only do we have the spirit of Christ, but now we have been blessed with the mind of Christ. The type of worshipful mentality, lifestyle, that Paul is experiencing here, that he's exhorting to the Thessalonians, is only possible, not only because this is God's will for us, but more specifically, for those who are united with Christ. Left to myself, I cannot rejoice always. Left to myself, I cannot pray without ceasing. Left to myself, I cannot give thanks in every circumstance. I can't. Paul cannot either. But because we are in Christ, because Jesus died for us, because he resurrected, so his spirit is taking over our lives little by little. These verses, verse 16 and 17, and the first part of 18, is progressively becoming a reality for us. What does this mean for us? Is in every situation, always, in all circumstances, including the burnout that we're experiencing at work, including the prospect of losing our loved ones, including us just feeling like we are in a funk where we feel so apathetic, unmotivated, we just don't have the ability to get over the inertia, like it's just, we feel stuck despite all these things. If we are in Christ, we can still rejoice. We can still see God's character and his involvement in every and any situation. Um, Paul just doesn't say it here. So if you think, well, you know what? You're saying that this is a worshipful life, but those are only three verses in the Bible. There are other verses in the Bible. Let me give you another example. Another example from Paul. 
And Paul continues to be faithful to the mission, to the calling that God has given him. And as he does so, he, like I mentioned, he faces a lot of problems. And in this situation, he faces a lot of physical persecution. Later in life, people betray him. So he experiences a lot of relational betrayal. And he eventually gets imprisoned multiple times. And for some of us, when we feel stuck in this pandemic life, yes, I, I, I want to empathize with all of us. It's not easy. But this guy, Paul, I mean, he lived in prison. And yet he still writes this. And as he was in prison, he writes to the Philippians because the Philippians were concerned for Paul's well-being. The Philippians sent him financial gift because he was in need. And this is what Paul writes. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And notice the strong similarities between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking about the gift that the Philippians sent to Paul. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, whatever situation, notice the emphasis, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. We talked about the vicissitudes of life. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, notice the emphasis, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Great verse, very poetic, um, just powerful language. And like we talked about with Isaiah 9, sometimes with scripture, even though it's so simple, sometimes we get so swept away, swept away by the poetic, beautiful language that we forget what it actually means. Because for many of us, when we look at these verses, again, our tendency to distort, we probably focus on what? I can do all things. Even athletes, secular people, will quote Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and they will just say, I can do all things. See, it's in the Bible. I can do all things. And it's a license for them to live a wild life or to have excessive self-confidence, which is really misguided. But again, that's not the purpose of these verses. There's something far more important, something far greater, more glorious than us just being able to do all things. Notice the similarities. In whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And the Greek word for this is not just brought low, but brought to low to the point of embarrassment, of shame of being a disgrace. And I know how to abound. Where you have excess in resources. Where you are just in cloud nine. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And it's very similar to the first Thessalonians chapter five. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. How? How can we be content in every in any circumstance? How can we be content when we are embarrassingly, to the point of disgrace, brought low? And even when we are abounding in excess. Notice what Paul points to in both passages. It's no coincidence. He points to a singular thing. He says, I can do all things through him. Who is him? 
<laughs> Obviously, Paul is speaking about Jesus. Um, and actually, a more literal, a better translation, if you look at the Greek, is not through Jesus. Literally, it is in Jesus. Literally, it is I can do all things in Jesus. And based on what I just mentioned, whenever you look at the in Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord phrase, Paul is not just talking about this relationship that Jesus is on my side. We're just side-by-side buddies. No, it is in Christ, it is union with Christ. His spirit is taking over our lives. We have been blessed, imputed with not only Christ's spirit, his righteousness, his mind, his dispositions, his ability to worship, all those things we have inherited. It has been imputed in us. We are one with Christ. And what Paul is saying, just like the previous passage and this passage, is if we submit to the gospel of Jesus, and I know many of us, you know, we know the basic tenets intellectually, but all of that, we just look at it all of our lives. It's a ticket to heaven. It's my insurance policy. The insurance policies of all insurance policies. It guarantees a future hope, my eternal life. But it also impacts your every day. I mean, the gospel is incredibly relevant. Do you not notice Paul saying in every circumstance, whether you're high or low, whether you're burning out, whether you're loving your work situation, whether the relationships are flourishing or whether the relationships are going through a period of devastation, in every nervous circumstance, he is content because he is in Christ. Christ is strengthening him by virtue of the power of the Spirit. The gospel is not just something we tuck away in our back pocket, but in every situation, it is incredibly relevant. So just to make things a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer for us to remember, I'm saying that this worshipful life of being able to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in every circumstance, being content in all situations, is Paul gives three reasons. First, the reason why you're able to do this is because this is God's will for you. This is an intention, his desire, and unlike us humans, God's will will be done. The second reason is we are in Christ. Because of his sacrificial death, because of his glorious and powerful resurrection, all of Christ is now imputed into us, including our ability to worship, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, be content in all situations. There's a third reason, though. There's a third reason, or third, I guess, uh, reason why we are able to live this type of life is yes, God's will, yes, what Christ has done, but especially in Philippians, do you notice how he emphasizes twice, I have learned. I have learned. He doesn't just say it once, he says it twice, he says it later also. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. You know, when I say it is God's will for us, Some of us may be thinking, oh, it's God's will. That means I don't need to do anything. That means the coast is clear. God's will is going to be done, then I guess I don't really have much to do. 
When we think about union with Christ, oh, I'm Christ's righteousness, His Spirit is taking over? That means I don't have to do anything. Now, this is why Paul mentions the third thing, is he, even though it's God's will, even though he is united with Christ, Paul also understands that he needs to learn this. It doesn't just happen naturally. And the words that he used in Greek, for the, there's two different words, manthano, which is what he used in the first highlight, and mueo, which is the, um, the, the, the highlight of the second one. And they're both not just learning where you go to school and you memorize a bunch of mathematic formulas and boom, you, you get it in the bag. You learn it once and that's it. Manthano is a word where you're learning, but it is a learning that you only acquire through experience, through practice, through observing somebody. There's a relational aspect. And it is something that you never fully learn. Uh, if you look at all the instances of Manthano in the New Testament, and even in Greek literature, you get this idea that it is a process that you will never master. This ability to have a worshipful life, of being able to rejoice always, it is not just something that you just hear one sermon. You go on a retreat, you go on a mission trip, and boom, just like that, you got it in the bag. No, no, no. This is a lifelong process that you acquire through experience. And again, uh, the sermon linked to the 2D, 3D sermon talks about Joseph, how he had to experience the vicissitudes of life. If that, some of you guys remember the wavelength. He needed to experience that in order to learn what it means to be content in every circumstance. It is something that unfortunately we learn through usually the difficulties of life. And the second word, mueo, is more of a knowledge that is only to privileged people. It's not a, a knowledge that is um, widely accessible. And that's why he says the secret of facing plenty. And again, this learning is something that is so precious, so valuable. It's really, it's really only accessible to those who are in Christ. But it takes a lifetime to learn. Even in Hebrews, it describes how Jesus had to learn these things. It's just, it's incredible. So yes, it is God's will for us, and we should find much assurance in that. Yes, it is because we are united with Christ, and we should find, again, great assurance. But it's also something that we need to learn. You know, when I preach this message, uh, the 2D, 3D, very similar to this message, but it focused on the life of Joseph. One of the Q&A, as I was looking at the old questions, was how do we go from a 2D life to a 3D life? Uh, in other words, how do we go from a sinful life where we're distorting, rejecting, and we're suppressing God's character and his involvement in every and, every, in every and any circumstance to this worshipful life where we can see God, we can see Jesus, we can see the impact and the relevance of the gospel in every and any circumstance? I don't remember exactly how I answered that. But when we think about the word manthano, the emphasis on learning, and this learning is acquired through practice experience through other people, I think um, one of the most effective ways is going through difficulties in life, going through storms, going through less than ideal situations. 
Uh, I mentioned earlier how I had such a wonderful time during our Christmas gathering. It was fun. The kids laughed. Um, it was great to see other kids and just playing games and just having an informal time I thought was so refreshing. But one of the things that I really took away from that is being able to just see people. Not to single anybody out, but you know, our officers, I love them. I'm so encouraged by them. Uh, I shared earlier, maybe a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, an email that our sister Abby wrote about how even though she is experiencing one of the most stressful periods of her life, online teaching, doing things that she doesn't have the experience for, not really getting much mentorship, and feeling like she's inadequate every day on top of the sheer exhaustion of doing full-time online virtual class with classes that are just too big. At the point where she felt like she was about to break down, she was reminded of the promises of the gospel. She was reminded that her identity is not in how effective she is as a teacher, but her identity is truly in Christ. And because of that, although the stresses at work is still, are still there, she's able to ha do it with confidence and security, knowing that her ultimate identity is not wrapped up in those things. That's worship. That's being content. That's being able to rejoice. That's being able to give thanks. She's learning that progressively. This past Friday, our brother Paul, Deacon Paul, coincidentally his name is Paul, but uh, yeah, he was sharing how Christmas Eve, he was up till 3 a.m. on work meetings. And even Christmas morning, he had to work as well. And it hasn't just been this season, but the past year, maybe even more, he has just been getting grilled at work. And the reason why I highlight him is not only because I think it's representative to a lot of the burnout that many of us are experiencing, but because of the way he's handling it. He mentioned, despite feeling overwhelmed at work, he, he doesn't look at himself as a victim. He easily could. And I, he shared with me some of the stresses that he's experiencing. And I, I, I'm thinking, wow, I could totally see yourself wallowing in your misery and pitying yourself. But instead, what he, said, what he mentioned was, despite all this, he has learned to not take his life so seriously because he's learning instead more of how glorious Jesus is and how amazing these benefits and the blessings of the gospel are. That although this is a momentary struggle for him, he still sees the hope of the gospel even during this difficult time. And if you ask him, is it easy? No, I'm sure it's not easy. He's learning it, just like this says. Part of it is because this is God's will for Paul, for Abby, for us, to live a worshipful life like this. Part of it is because we are united with Christ, that His Spirit is the one reminding us. But another is we are learning. And most often we learn through the valleys by being brought low to the point of disgrace, embarrassment, of pain. Yeah. You know, so what are some ways that, or what are some other ways, just to make things a little bit more practical, is I also do really think, especially during this time, that Sunday worship service is so important. Because during Sunday, I'll say this. Apart from Sunday worship, our life 
is inundated. We're constantly confronted with ideas, values that distract us from Jesus, that distract us from the character and the involvement of God. We live in a sin-fallen world, and in this world, Satan is in charge. You look at the way advertisements are schemed. You look at the way social media is constructed. You look at the way entertainment is so prevalent. All these things are designed, not by coincidence, to get our eyes off Jesus. Or we have a distorted understanding of Jesus, as we've been talking about in the Isaiah series. Our life, Sunday to Sunday, Monday, like every second of our existence, we are confronted with this, of trying to shift our focus away from Jesus. So Sunday worship service is incredibly important in that context. The spiritual battle is intense. We are famished throughout the week. We need Sunday worship. We need to be reminded of Christ. We need to, be, we need to see Jesus, not in a distorted way, but for who He is as revealed to Scripture. Sunday worship is incredibly important for us to develop and to learn this worshipful mentality. Uh, if you are not part of Sunday worship, you are basically starving yourself week on end, at the same time being inundated with this sin-fallen world. No wonder um, we're going to experience a lot of distance and dryness. I think another area is community. You know, the word manthano is a very relational term. You don't just learn by just doing research on your computer, but you typically learn from other people. And in our community, that's the purpose of it. Obviously, we're still growing in this area, but especially small groups. Um, this is an opportunity for you to unpack and to process the things that has been preached on Sunday and for us to learn from others and to not only learn from others, but to speak the truth to others, saying, brother, like I know you've been sharing this weeks on end, and I have been praying for you. My heart goes out for you. But I just want to encourage you. Christ is king. Christ is sovereign. So small groups are incredibly important. Um, another way to learn more about this or to learn in a more worshipful mentality is through our discipleship team. And um, one of the books or the book that we're reading is How People Change. And it's really just incredible. You guys have been mentioning to me how the things that we're reading in the book just coincide so well with the things that we've been hearing on Sundays and the emphases of First Thessalonians, even Isaiah. I wish I could say I planned it this way, but no, it's just God speaking through this book. And I'm just so thankful that some of us are really picking up on it. And I see, based on my interactions with you, that slowly but surely, God is using this book to instill a more worshipful mentality. If you want to take part in this book reading where we're doing it communally, relationally, feel free to email us and we can get you part of it. I can catch you up to speed. There are some people who join late as well. Uh, other ways, uh, I think in January, we'll announce this next week. We're going to start a prayer meeting um, once a week where we can just connect with God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Pray without ceasing. There is a huge emphasis on prayer and the ability to worship, being able to see God in his involvement. You can only do that when you're interacting with God. If you're not talking to God, then obviously we're not going to be able to see his character and his involvement in our lives. 
So prayer is something that I feel like has been very difficult, especially in this pandemic. And one of the things that we're going to do in the new year, uh, we'll announce it next week, is we're going to have regular prayer meetings. And it's an opportunity for us to just pour out all the circumstances, all the difficulties to God and to experience and to be reminded that He is still nonetheless present in those situations. Uh, But yeah, all those things are ways. And again, there are baby steps. It's not going to happen overnight. It is a learning process. At this time, we're going to conclude our sermon and we're going to go into a time of response. Uh, If you have any prayer requests or prayers or questions, feel free to text those anonymously. Uh, We do have a question from last week, but because of the technical difficulties, we'll address that question today uh, at the end of our service. Um, Another way of responding is um, I do want to alert us to our tithes and offering. Um, But I think more importantly, I just want to give us an opportunity to just really reflect upon what enables us to live this type of life of worship. That in every and any circumstance, we see God's character and involvement that leads us to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, to be content. It's because of the Father's will for you. It's His desire, it's His intention. And He is powerful. It's because you are united with Christ. His costly sacrificial death, His glorious, majestic, powerful resurrection is not just for eternal benefits, but even right now, in your everyday, in every circumstance, it's relevant. And by the power of the Spirit, God is allowing us to go through the arduous, at times, learning process of how to have this type of mentality, that this can truly be our life. Um, So I just want to give us an opportunity first to respond to these truths. If you want to respond by giving thanks to God for His will, for union with Christ, for the Spirit enabling us to learn. If you want to repent for the ways that we have been distorting, the ways that we have been misinterpreting our lives. However the Spirit leads us, I just want to give us a moment to respond, whether praying, whether it's messaging, or whether it's through offering.